Welcome to Doc Talk. Today is episode number 42. And we are here with Tony Fantasia, who, gosh, now that I look at it, it was exactly 10 episodes ago he was with us. Um, it was called Catching Up with Mr. Tony Fantasia, How Coursework Can Inform Dissertation Direction. So Tony is currently the lead data scientist with the Air Force Civil Engineering Command, uh, more specifically the Air Force Installation Management Service Command. And when I first um, connected with him, he had just completed his first day of his doctoral program. In fact, when we spoke on the phone to kind of coordinate him being on on the podcast, he was just accepted to the program. So we're following Tony from start to finish in his <laughs> in his doctoral program. Um, in fact, right now he is in his third semester of the first year, and I really feel like it's been way more than a year, uh, given everything that he's done thus far. Um, but just to give you a little bit, bit of his background, he is currently in a PhD program at the University of North Texas in the School of Information Science. And for undergrad, he completed that with American Military University with a bachelor's in IT management and earned his MT, MBA, excuse me, uh, also through American Military University with a focus in IT management. Okay, so today... I'm just going to give you a quote um, from the actual show because I thought this was really, really neat. So Tony says um, he feels like he's in his own Viking saga, breaking away from the mainland, out there adrift in his own little dinghy, trying to make sense of the world around me. (laughs) It was a really, really good episode. I think uh, people will enjoy it on a number of levels. If you're into social sciences, you'll love it. if you're into game theory, you'll really like it. I wasn't exactly too familiar with what game theory is, but he explains it, not in this episode, but in a following uh, future episode, you'll we'll get into that. But really great episode. Share the heck out of this. I think people really enjoy it. And it's very applicable to what um, to what is going on in the real world right now. So right now, Tony is... Um, His research focuses on information warfare and advanced game theory and how how it's used to create, um, let's see here, basically a state of susceptibility in consumers of information. So Tony's looking to identify the factors that make people more susceptible to influence than others. Really interesting stuff. Definitely want to tune into this this particular show. Uh, let's see here. Something else I wanted to share with everyone. And one of the things too we talk about is how he, there's so many theories that he can apply to the work that he's doing. He's having a tough time narrow, narrowing those down, like not selecting. You can't, you, yeah, he can't work with all of them. He's got to gotta whittle them down. So maybe some of the listeners, you all have some some insights as to what he could focus on. But first, you've got to listen to this episode, right? Hey, before we get into the episode, I do want to share something with you. If you are struggling with focus and low energy and low mood, 
I have got the very thing for you. I've been consistently thriving since the spring, this past spring, back in April, May time, March, April timeframe. I have been thriving. If you'd like to know more about Thrive, please visit my website at AA Marchine. That's AA and then my last name dot thrive one two three dot com. That's AA Marchine dot thrive123.com. You'll find some great information there about a very simple three-step system that can help promote healthy gut health, (laughs) healthy gut health, (laughs) improved gut health, more energy, more um, high mood, change that low mood to high mood, and just overall good health and well-being. Welcome to Doc Talk, where we discuss all things doctoral. Been there, done that? Then we want to hear from you. Want to be there? Want to do that? Then this is the place to be. Still trying to figure it all out? Yeah, so am I. So come on, let's do this. Let's venture beyond a master's. This is really exciting. Sorry if I look like a hot mess. I was like a mom on the go who wore a hat dropping the kids off because I was not. Yeah, and future school board <laughs> from what I understand, right? Well, not quite. So I didn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't elected this go round and that's okay. Uh, Fair loss. I learned, oh, say it again. Fair loss. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, so there were, there were two of us who were kind of on the same wavelength and we were kind of newbies. Well, I'm I'm not originally from this town and this guy he is he was running on a platform similar to mine, so we kind of made our names synonymous with one another. Ultimately, the I I think we gave him a good run for their money. We at least stirred some things up and people I mean when I say stir things up, I mean there were people nasty, not very kind. The stuff you see in national and state politics for a school board election. It was, it was disturbing, honestly. Anyway, so we didn't, we, all the same people were elected back and the one new individual, her husband had actually stepped down. Like his seat was replaced by his wife. So I think a lot of it may have been name recognition. Um, I felt like I put forward a good campaign. I'd never done anything like this before. I had a lot of great support, um, so shout out to everybody who supported me. <laughs> Absolutely. The, yeah, definitely. My next, my next door neighbor just won his re-election to the school board. And I and we we heard a lot about smear campaigns and school board elections. It was it was pretty nasty. Oh man. He probably um sounds like he, he experienced some of that. He did. Well, he did not. He he's been in that position for for 20 years and he's very, very good at what he does. But some of the people on the board that were running had some controversies behind him and thankfully he was removed from all that. But oh, there's still a, a couple of people, you know, lobbing grenades in the compound, as they say. So it was, you know, there's some some shrapnel from it. Yeah, it's one of my sisters was like, What? This is happening to you? Yeah. For a school board election? <laughs> 
in a small you, town. People are passionate about anything. Yeah. So I'm I'm very proud to have run a clean campaign. That's good. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect anything less from you. Your, <laughs> your Thanks, Tony. <laughs> it puts you at a disadvantage in politics, you know, having integrity. But we need more of that. So I, mm. I hope that you, that you regroup and run again next time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. If nothing else, it definitely, like I said, stirred the pot, and more people came out to vote for the election this time than like I think the person who won because there were four slots. The person who won the top slot, like with the most votes, she had more votes than the number. She, well, she and the person second in line had like double, almost triple the number of votes, if I'm, and my memory serves me correctly, than the person who won last time had it all, like the total number of votes. Wow. So there were a lot of people out there that wanted to make their voices heard. So that was good. That's great. Yeah, that means a lot. But yeah, so I have to tell you, you're the first person I'm talking to since um, not having done the podcast <laughs> since the summer. So I don't really have, I don't have any particular questions I want to ask you, just kind of want to get caught up on where you are in your program. And then if you want to touch on some of the things that we kind of, you know, said, oh my gosh, that'd be so cool to talk about. I, yeah, yeah I just want to hear what's on your mind, where you are in classes and yeah. Well, then I, I, I can't remember anything more than like two weeks ago. So it'll be a, a relatively fresh conversation for me. <laughs> uh, my short-term memory is kind of clogged up with, with a bunch of other stuff. But um, where am I now? I am just about to finish my third semester of my first year in this program. And I've been taking three classes per semester. Um, since January. So I have almost nine classes done. And out of the, out of the 60 credits that we have to have for the, the, the full PhD program above and beyond the masters. Ah, see what I did there? Beyond the masters. Um, yeah, nice, nice plug. <laughs> I will have 27, 27 of the 36 classroom hours done by December while juggling a full-time job and my family. Um, so I'm proud of that. And in, uh, at the same time, I was doing a parallel certification called the Advanced Data Analytics Certification. Um, it's kind of like a, a, it's its own master's program. But because a lot of the, the classes map, I, I was able to get kind of two for one. So I did all the statistics, all the big data, everything. And I just finished my last ADTA certification class six weeks ago. So that was a lot of statistics, a lot of statistical modeling and stuff like that. And finishing that class, I actually was able to reclaim 18 hours of my day back. So I was literally devoting 18 hours per day before work and after work, and sometimes on my lunch break to homework for my stats classes. So it's nice to be done with that. Oh my goodness. But it's a lot like poker. You know, you they're wonderful classes. I, I love learning and you can learn it in eight weeks, 
but then you have to spend the rest of your life figuring out how to use it and how to master it and how to apply it to the real world. And that's kind of where I'm at now is I learned advanced statistical modeling, uh, machine learning, deep learning, AI development, all these things that I'm, I've been excited to learn and applying them to my, my work the very next day. But it's not a one-to-one translation. It's not an easy thing to, to take this very sterile classroom environment and translate the tools and the concepts and the techniques over to to the, the dirty side of data, you know, where everything's real and ugly. And um, so that's where I'm at, is uh, taking those concepts and trying to translate them to meaningful, useful work packages. Um, I'm enjoying it, but I'm... I'm also the only one doing it. So there is no contemporary that I work with that can, I can bounce ideas off of and say, Hey, you know, here I am in this, in this domain with these tools and this knowledge and how do I make it all work? It's, it, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It's very much exploratory. I feel like my own, my own Viking saga, you know, breaking away from the mainland and out there adrift in my little dinghy and trying to make sense of the world around <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, I find it really, it's really hard to believe that you're, I know you're going to be like only, but only in your third semester. I feel like it was ages ago when we first spoke, like you should be in your second year. Well, you know, for all intents and purposes, I am, it, it's all relative. It's okay. It's kind of a time warp thing that even though it's the third semester, I feel like I've, I've gained five years of education and experience in that time. It's, it's like dog years. Mm. I keep going back to that. But in that same time that I'm doing the classroom work, I'm also now I'm in my seminar classes where I'm learning the research design methods and the, the philosophy and theory behind knowledge management and information management and all the different theories that fall into that and um, developing my my research proposal drafts based on the work, the, the, the reading that I'm doing and so much reading. I mean, both of my classes, both seminar classes, I had one eight week analytics course, but I had two 16 week info seminar classes. And those last two are the ones that I'm still in until the first week of December. <laughs> so I've got in my, in my seminar my theory class, you know, on the average, five or six uh, scholarly journals I'm reading every week for comprehension, as well as doing my my literature review for my my dissertation, my thesis, my theories, and then for my research design, I'm constantly fleshing out the the shell of my research proposal based on everything that we're learning about the different methods and about the different paradigms and the different perspectives and making sure that you get your abstract and your introduction and your, your related literature and your history and then the, um, the rationale for your, your design methodology. So as I'm, I'm doing the schoolwork, I'm developing the, the concept for my research and then next semester, I'll have two more info classes and one qualitative analytics class before I enter into my 
the class where you have to present and defend the research proposal. And words are escaping me right now, but mm-hmm. that class, um, that's where you take everything that you learn in the first year, develop a proposal that you present to your committee and defend its viability, validity, rationality, everything, making so that they make sure that it's something meaningful that research can be conducted and analyzed and presented, and that it adds to the body of knowledge, the body of research. So that course is what I'm spending this whole year preparing for. Okay. But I've got a pretty good shell so far. My, my, my concept, my area of research is information warfare and advanced game theory and how it is used to create a state of susceptibility in consumers of information. And I am trying to identify the factors in a person or group that make them susceptible to influence by various organizations or entities and how how that susceptibility is established, how it is taken advantage of, and then how it is defended against, you know, creating systems where people can be more knowledgeable of the information they're using to make decisions. And all of this is based in social sciences. So I'm talking to a lot of neuropsychologists and PhDs in the field, and they're all telling me that the same thing, that, you know, this is the same thing that they've been struggling with throughout their careers to identify measures of susceptibility to influence in human populations of any size. So I have the feeling that this is going to be a good proposal, but it's not going to be one of those nice and tidy research projects where you have questions and answers and analysis and a, and a, and a, a solution to the world's problems by the end of my dissertation or by the end of my PhD program. It's going to be one of those, you know, here's a concept that I'll be working on probably for the rest of my life. And I've got some meaningful ways forward, but no long-term answers. I'll be able to just chip away at certain aspects of it over time. So how has this last year, Tony, helped you to refine where you want to go with your dissertation? Well, I have, I have structure now, or at least I'm, I'm learning the structure. My, my thoughts were very fluid and freewheeling and all over the place, but now I'm starting to see how there are theories out there. And in and, and, and the information sciences... Everything and really all all research is either based on meaningful theory or you're exploring the content in order to develop a theory. And I've got no shortage of theories. My problem is I have so many theories from information warfare, cognitive overload, moral development, game theory, hyper game theory. Uh, deception and gatekeeping theory, it, it all, every time I read a little bit further, I develop, I, I discover a new theory that that is deployed or possible in this whole realm of information warfare. So can you remind, can you remind um, listeners 
what it was like, Hey, listen, I just want to share with everybody real quick that if you have not heard the other conversations with Tony Fantasia, definitely go back. And, um, I, I should probably look and put those episode numbers in the show notes, but go back and listen to those because, um, one of our other guests, it was her idea and to actually, Hey, you've got somebody who's just starting out. Why not follow him throughout his journey? And Tony is that person. So, um, I'm sure there there may be others along the way, but right now Tony, my my classmate from pre college years and then into the college years, is here and working on his PhD. And yeah, I caught you in the first week, actually before, like two weeks out, I think, before yeah, you started. I, I, called, I called you the day I got accepted. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So this is like legit you know, from start, we're going to go from start to finish with Tony. Um, but I, what I really think is neat is how your, you, where you thought you were going has changed. And I think what you're doing now is more applicable to, oh, I don't want to say more, but is very applicable to real life in real time. Can you kind of dive into that? Like what, why I well, you know why I'm saying that, but as much oh, as yeah. you can share, yeah, I like I, lo- I love this stuff. I love it. <laughs> okay, so no crap, there I was, right? I was just coming out of the army and um, as a combat medic, and I was I got into a career in IT, which was a complete divergence from where I thought I was going. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to do health informatics, but um, I got into I got into IT, and as I'm developing a career in this field, I'm self-taught, and I had to learn what I could in order to get myself to that next step. But I was working on a a program for the Defense Health Agency, the DHA, on a it's a manpower program, um, manpower common operating picture, and I, I had taken that program as far as I could with the knowledge that I could give myself. And they started to ask questions at the four-star level that I couldn't answer. And they're asking for, for capabilities that I couldn't develop. And since I had no contemporaries at that level, everything was just really tip of the spear development research. Um, I knew that if I was gonna take it any further, I had to get some formal training and some formal understanding under my belt. So I applied for school and rather than go for a second master's, I, did, I decided to try throwing my hat in the, in the ring for the PhD and they accepted me and I got, I got enrolled. And, um, as soon as I got into the program and I started talking to my, my advising professor, I realized that I did not want to go down the health informatics field any further than I already had, uh, because that field is, for lack of a better term, it's well populated. There's a lot of people uh, already working on things, and it was hard for me to find a point of differentiation that would be meaningful. Uh, so I have other hobbies and interests outside of the health field, and they revolve almost entirely in the socio political economic world. And when I got out of the Army in 2006, I started to pay attention to 
the politicians and the things they were saying and the banks and the corporations because they had then immediate impact on my life and my ability to to make decisions for my family. So as I started to pay attention, it's like anything else. I call it the enlightened inquiry. You don't know what questions to ask until you know what you don't know. And as you see things and learn things, you, you are able to ask more questions about those things and dig deeper. But as I was asking questions about bills and political strategy and taxes and impacts and outcomes, uh, I kept coming up against a lot of the same dead ends. I realized very quickly that there were more questions than answers. And a lot of the information that we were being provided by the media and by the politicians was in the best case scenario, it was incomplete. In the worst case scenario, it was, it was flat out wrong. And even things that were labeled as conspiracy theory five or 10 years ago or 20 years ago is now accepted as fact or it is, it is admitted as fact by everyone from the FBI to the CIA to the CDC. How did real so quick, with, real quick, how did you yeah. know back then that what you were hearing was untrue? Gut. I mean, I, I was starting to pay attention. I accepted what I heard on the news as truth my entire life. Uh, I figured they know better. They saw better. But then being out in places like Afghanistan, Afghanistan in 2002 and Iraq in 2004, seeing things with my own eyes, but then seeing how they were portrayed in newsreel when I got home or what my wife would tell me about, I, I knew then that there were two different sides of a story, that what I was seeing is not what was being portrayed. And then I start looking back at other conflicts like Vietnam, Gulf War, Korea. You know, you can look back through history and see instances where what we're told doesn't match up with what we experience or people Mm -hmm. So that discrepancy between the the reality and the news became very, very, very clear to me. But proving it, you know, highlighting it, getting it, getting people to see what I was seeing and, and, and trying to understand what I was telling them, there was a huge barrier wall. I could see it. I could talk about it, but there are people who have a lifetime of getting their information and their interpretation of facts and information from Fox News or from CNN or anywhere in between or outside that they just would not accept the possibility that they were not getting the whole story. I've heard I've heard um, that described as like a psychosis. Like this disconnect, this um, disconnection from reality. And then you've got this behavior that just is, I don't know. What do you think about that? It's just a a disconnect from reality, but it's, it's, it's fed by what you've just described. I think the term is the the, the popular term is cognitive dissonance Mm. that you know something to be true, but you you refuse to accept the reality of that truth. Because accepting the reality of that truth means that your entire belief system, your decision-making strategy, everything comes into question when you ask yourself, how was I able to be deceived 
for so long by these people without seeing it. But when you start looking at the principles of game theory and cognitive overload and um, social re-engineering, where they're trying to influence people's behaviors and decisions, sometimes without them even knowing that they're part of a decision-making strategy. It's scary because it seems like something out of a a George Orwell book, you know, right? Uh, 1984. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the more you look at it, the more you think, oh my gosh, you know, here we are. If, if, if even a fraction of what these crazy conspiracy theory people are talking about is true, that means we have a much larger problem on our hands than what people are willing or able to, to, to comprehend. It's scary. Because that means there's implications that our government, our law enforcement, our court system, our corporate structure, everything is rigged against the people of this country and of the world. Because it's not just a USA thing. It's a global network of finance. And there's a, a, a series of papers that are just released from Panama, uh, dubbed the, the Pandora Papers, where it talks about offshoring of uh personal and corporate wealth and investments through these, these, you know, the banks, the Grand Caymans and whatnot, where there's a, a second tier of economics that benefits the, the very rich, the very wealthy, but we, the normal people of the world, don't have access to those same needs. Why do you, why do you think that social, re- well, why do you, you said you use the term game theory. Why are they doing this? Like, why is this happening? Uh, well, okay. This is one of those things where, like, the more you read, the scarier it gets, and the more you have to you have to question what your interpretation of it of, of the readings are. So, please understand that this is my mind trying to comprehend what I'm reading versus what I'm seeing, and trying to make a a melange of the two. But it appears on the surface, and on the surface, it looks like we're heading towards a global conflict, military, economic, social conflict that individually can be related back to several things historically that are are specific to certain regions. Like if you look at Poland and Belarus, you look at Russia and the Ukraine, you look at the US and, and China and Taiwan, and you look at Iran and Israel, um, there's all these long-standing global conflicts, but when you scratch below the surface, their their regional conflict becomes a much tightly knit uh, global conflict that the the same people show up in in these conflicts, like the Rothschild family and the central banking system, that they they are everywhere that these central banking systems, especially if you start to look at some of the, the countries that refuse the banking systems like Libya and Gaddafi. I was going to say there's know? some African countries and some of them like not long ago paid the price for it for, for a couple, not just the banking, but a few other things that have been going on. There were yeah. Afri- presidents in Africa within the past like five months who just are no longer. Yeah. The Africa, um, you have, Argentina, Venezuela, you have Libya, uh, all the, the regions that didn't have a, or they were refusing the central banking structure had, you know, all these conflicts. So I look at these things trying to 
find patterns and you have to dig so far below, even, even so far below the rabbit holes in order to see where the patterns connect. Um, I have theories that everything that's happening is interrelated, whether it, whether it be social, political, economic, you know, it, it's all, we're, no matter where it is in the world, it's all related. And it all can be tied back to groups of people and processes that have been underway for a long time. I mean, from, from World War I and much earlier. But I have to look at all of this with a very skeptical eye and you know, try to factor in my own bias and my own beliefs and how much of this is what I, what I want to see versus what is actually there. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of gut check. And I saw this, this Venn diagram the other day. There was very, I, I kind of latched onto it. And one circle of the Venn diagram is, you know, the world is ending. And the other circle is I still have to go to work. And those where that where that those two diagrams come together, you know, the world's ending, but I still have to go to work and do my homework every day. Trying to trying to watch things unfold and say, how does this how does this one strand of information relate to any of these other strands? How does this how does the tapestry of the world accommodate that one strand? How far does it go? What is it, what's it impacted by? What does it impact down here? What's the depth of it? Um, looking at any situation, any piece of information in a three or five dimension perspective, that nothing, no one thing is just one thing. Everything's interrelated. Everything connects. I, and trying to grasp that. the the depth and breadth and scopes of the connections is where your mind can kind of go crazy. So having a structure, whittling all this down into a, what I have right now are 14 socially acceptable research questions. (laughs) Isn't that bad? um, Like (laughs) you have to do socially acceptable ones because otherwise people are what? Like, Oh, he's just off his rocker. For the, for the purposes of, of a dissertation in a school. They have to have, be. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I have to play by the school's rules. And I'm, I'm trying to keep my research questions and my hypotheses at the very, very general, apolitical, a-religious, a-social, just at the human being level. So- and game theory plays into all of this. But if I can keep it sterile and look at the concepts from every side of every argument and not say politics or or religion, but just how are we conditioned by external sources to act or believe things because of their agendas. And I, and that's the, that's the challenge is keeping it neutral. This is your host, Allison Marchine, and I'm so glad you were here. And I'm looking forward to the next time. Let's do this again.